From 11FS, I'm Sam Mall, and this is Connection Interrupted. Connection Interrupted is a weekly show focusing on individuals across all walks of life whose plans and journeys were interrupted, disconnected, or rerouted. These are their stories told in their words of the obstacles they faced, the challenges they overcame, and the role technology played both as an instigator and as an instrument for positive growth and change in their lives. Ted Coyne more or less exemplifies the American dream when it comes to a career. He's a successful businessman. He's a three-time CEO. He's founded and sold his own company. He's a sought-after keynote speaker, and he's the co-author of A World Gone Social, a book that just happens to be on my bookshelf sitting behind me. The book provides a guide on how businesses should make that must engage in the digital age. What I love about Ted most, though, is his personal success in business and being financially secure isn't that he just retired to South Florida to play golf. He moved to South Florida to teach, to share what he learned. Ted leads the Entrepreneurship Innovation Lab at Lorenzo Walker Technical College in Naples, Florida. He works with high school and college kids, sharing the reality of what it takes to be a success in business and pursuing your dreams, but in doing it the right way. And I love this about Ted. I personally had the chance to meet his high school students, to listen to them pitch their business ideas. And these young leaders are incredible. You'll hear them pitch their business models to me throughout this podcast. I think Ted sums up what drives him best in the following quote from a previous interview. I am driven by the notion that the only reason we're here, the only thing that really matters, is to make this world of ours a better place than we found it. My talents lie in business, so I'm working with what I have. If my parents, friends, and I can move the needle just a little bit to help tap the power of business for the common good, I will consider mine a life well spent. Ted, I think you're achieving that goal. This is his story. So I love the idea of working with young people and teaching them. Because, I mean, you've been a CEO, you're a CMO, you've had success, best-selling author, you've been down that path. What was the decision, what was the trigger event to get you in the classroom? Okay, yeah, let me tell you. Because I kind of, let's see, what is what is the quote by, um, I'm going to totally mangle it. I'm really bad at remembering things. That's why I have these quotes written around the classroom because I can't remember stuff. But um, John Lennon said, um, his teacher um, gave him an assignment and he said, what do you want to be? And he said, I want to be happy. And she said, no, you don't understand the assignment. And he said, no, you don't understand the oh, assignment. I love, I love that quote, right? So that's pretty much me. You know, I've done many things. If you look at my career, it's like somebody, you know, uh, opened up a, a grenade and it exploded all over a career. It's just a mess, right? But there's one theme that my true north is education. When I'm working with clients consulting, if I'm teaching them, I'm doing a good job and it's well-received. When I'm working with, you know, now with my students, when I'm teaching them, it's going well. When I And I'm enjoying that. I love that. My family has a background in teaching. 
we had a family reunion when I was in my 20s before I became a teacher and something like 17 out of 23 of us either were currently teachers or had been, right? My dad was a, um, you know, adjunct professor for a while, you know, in the beginning of his career, you name it. I avoided it like the plague because I'd heard so many bad things about teaching, you know, the bureaucracy, especially, and, you know, lack of respect, et cetera. But what happened was when I was in my 30s, uh, just turning 30, I just decided I didn't like sales, which was wrong. Sales are fun. But I didn't like what I was selling. So my wife talked me into going into teaching. And then the next thing I did was I, uh, so I was teaching at a private language school in the Boston area. So people come there to learn English uh, because Harvard is there. They go to London to learn English because the Queen's there. Doesn't really matter whether, you know, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're never going to meet a Harvard professor or the Queen, but it doesn't matter. So anyway, I was teaching English and 9-11 hit and my employer, I was director of a school at the time. My employer said, you know, we're just, people are not flying here to learn English right now. If you want to leave, no harm done. And so I left and I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I love teaching English so much. And my wife drove me through the downtown of our, our town. It was like little Brazil, all these little Brazilian shops. And we lived on the corner of town. We'd never gone that direction before. We just moved there. So I'm like, get out of here. So we started in my living room. So I started teaching. That was my first business. Um, we built it into a $10 million business over the course of a few years because what happened was we hit a niche. I started sending teachers, first myself, but then other teachers to companies. Well, while I was teaching myself, I was absolutely in heaven, nothing more fun in the whole world. And then as I, the company grew, I stepped out of the classroom and I just, you know, hey, I'm a big businessman now. And I was very self-important. Boy, I was, I was. Successful <laughs> do that, won't it? Yeah, yeah. it's horrible. It's well, the first time, right? You know, the, the first time you hit success, um, hopefully that success won't last so you can learn some humility afterwards. So anyway, I got out of the classroom. I published a book. I started giving, you know, talks instead. We moved down here to Florida where there's really no, you, you can't keep that business model that we had up in Boston going because there's no industry to support it. So I wandered away from teaching. I went into public speaking, you know, as a as a professional and consulting, ran a nonprofit here, a couple of them for a few years. And I was unhappy. No matter what I was doing, I wasn't all that happy. So fast forward to my 50th birthday, just a month before I was in a car accident and I was, uh, I walked away fine. This lady in a Bentley hood, this 80 year old lady in, in a Bentley crushed my car. And um, so if you want to, if you want to save car, buy a Bentley because <laughs> she, she was fine. I had a concussion. So I could do nothing. And I had just founded an influencer marketing company. We had about 130 business influencers signed up and we were going to really do something special with that. And But I wasn't feeling it. I was starting that business because I saw a need and because I was a little bit resentful of the, you know, IBMs of the world kind of taking advantage of business influencers, getting them to work for free, not because it was passion. And what I what happened was while I was sitting there on the couch trying to like get my brain to work again, it was like a kickstart. It was the clearest delineation I've ever had in my life of, you know, before and after. So that month off, it was really almost two months. I just evaluated my career and I said, I've got to go back to teaching because that's what I love and screw the rest. I can't motivate myself to go after money. I have to do something I love and then occasionally money comes into the picture. So that's why I went back. I mean, passion, it's everything. You know, I, I think the older we, we laugh, cause we're the same age. And it is one of those things. I think the older you get, the more you look at it and you're like, that has to be that key ingredient. You got, you got to do the grind when you're young. That's, that's part of it. Right. 
I mean, I've been in consultancy. There's a part of the consultant's life where you're a road warrior and you're just, you're going to pound those hours and it's best to do it young when you're not married. You know, that's, so that's where it makes the most sense. But if you don't have passion for what you're doing, you aren't going to be happy. You just aren't. Now you can, it, but I, I don't think, and this is where I, I think it's interesting. I don't think everyone should be an entrepreneur. I really don't. I think there's a small group that can do that. You can look at a story and especially with the volume of information available to you on the web, you can debunk something pretty quick if you take five minutes. However, Sam, you're really smart. And, you know, if your intelligence is above average, yes, this is something simple for you. But if you're not well-educated or natively very curious, if you accept things the way that they are presented to you. If you're not natively curious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Having big ideas is a great starting point for Ted. Even better, though, if you have a plan. But the biggest mistake he sees younger people making is discounting feedback from experienced players. It's almost as bad as never failing. Failure helps ensure success for Ted, and he'll be the first to say too many people are willing to believe they can do no wrong and have the Midas touch. Dr. Penang, I love her. Um, And she said that. She goes, you know, um, she talks about uh, a lot of critics and the fact that they've never been in the trenches. Just shut up, right? I mean, if you haven't been there, don't. Don't lecture me. We have, I have that issue. I spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley. I spent a lot of time in New York, London, take your pick of some younger people coming in and talking about how they're going to change the world and they're going to do that. And you're like, one, I want you to, but two, life experiences matter, right? And you can't discount some of the feedback you're getting, you know, Um, that's the worst thing in the world you can do. And part of it is if you're instantly successful. So like with the first business I was telling you about before, I, I had like hangers on, like, you know, consultants and what have you. One guy called me Midas and like I started like puffing up because I heard that. I started listening to the stories that, you know, and believing them. And that is the worst thing for your soul. It's horrible for you. And it's horrible for your ability to run a business and to be entrepreneurial because all of a sudden you're you're too impressed with your own ability to make decisions to gather feedback in order to make good decisions. So thank God uh, my career has gone up and down. I think people who are successful right out of school, they will carry an arrogance with them, just not, you know, maybe intentional, but usually not intentional just because they don't know failure and they don't know struggle and they don't know betting on something they were sure was going to work and it doesn't work. That is incredibly valuable. You know, I'll tell you the best thing to keep you in line um, if you've had success, have kids. So, you know, for example, I used to care about the number of Twitter followers I had. I used to, I mean, when I was first starting out and my kids would always pull me back in, you know, I mean, I, I remember I told them, you know, Hey, I interviewed this person. Do you want to listen to it? And they're like, no, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you talk every day. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's so cool. I'm like that. We really just don't care. And I'm like, yeah. And, and they'll say something like, you're popular with such a narrow group of yeah. losers. Right, right. Their, their exact phrase. Ouch. You're, you're a celebrity for losers. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, I love you guys. Thank you. You know, but, but I, I agree with that. I, I actually asked the founder of a very large company that I said, who in your company's job is it to whisper in your ear? Remember thou art moral. Yeah. We need that. One of my most popular blog posts ever was dear CEO who tells you when your baby's ugly. And I was writing it specifically about the CEO of Gartner. I think I can see that say that now because it's been enough years that they won't try to sue me over that. But um, it was really funny because uh, I was just looking at the company from the inside and I was like, wow, this, this really, um, do you know what's going on here? And, um, you know, 
whatever, maybe, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But the fact of the matter is that your, you know, whoever is advising you, they often shield you from the most important information about your own business. Yeah, I think looking in the mirror and being realistic, right, about and understand, like you said, failure sucks, but there's great lessons in it. Uh Um, You know, it's not that failure is bad, it's continuous failure. Well, right, exactly. I mean, if failure keeps you down, or if you let it keep you down, right, that's what sucks. Uh, Failure is the worst thing ever. Nobody ever wants to fail for one minute in even one little tiny endeavor, right? But it's really useful. It's very educational. Well, I'm just thrilled that, again, we can have somebody in front of these kids um, to, to get, you know, the reality is out of this group right here, you're going to have one or two that's going to hit it out of the park. And for me, I've said that about my career. Um, Dan Pink influenced me to do that. Okay. So in one of Dan's books, it might have been Drive, he talks about what's your one sentence, right? If you could summarize yourself in one sentence, what is it? And I think I put something uh, along the lines of to inspire others. Because what I get the biggest kick out of is looking back at people I've worked with who've made it successful. Mm-hmm. I love that, right? And just whatever little influence I could help with that. I mean, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not, right? Um, and I accept that. I think that's one thing about getting older. We, I, I understand what my limitations are, and I focus in on what I'm really good at, and I embrace that. And it gets back to the passion. Working with young people is Ted's passion. He's a teacher at heart, so he needs students who are willing and able to learn, something that he believes the current education system crushes, especially with our focus on testing. The two things I tell my students when they come in the door the first day of school, you have to be curious and you have to be ready to work your tail off. Those are the only two things you need to bring to this classroom. Without those two things, though, no work ethic and no curiosity, I can't help you. And I think education drives that out of you. So I think the way our system, especially in the U.S., is set up, we come in naturally curious. You look at how kindergarten classes are run. They're fantastic, right? And then we put you in the dang seats and we're like, why are you talking? Why are you, you know, that, that idea of sit and let me lecture to you is, and, and I'll, I'll have people on the flip side of be like, oh my God, you liberal, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but stop and think about it. <laughs> say thank you when they say yeah, that. Yeah, well, I do. I smile and say, yeah, thanks. I usually go back to them and say, you know, how was your military career? What war did you fight in? And I just smile at them. But, you know, I, so who's the, the British guy? Sir Ted Robinson, I think is his name. It gives oh, a lot of Ted Ken talks. Robinson. Ken, Ken Robinson. I love his talks on education, right? I mean, he's one of my... We were talking about TED Talks before, because you've you've given um, a TEDx talk. That's one of my favorites all time, or his. And the problem is I still don't see it changing. This, and that's what I want to talk about, because we are, we're in Naples, Florida. And I think of youth, I don't think of Naples, Florida. But we're, what's the name of this school again? Lorenzo Walker Technical College. So nothing, and and high school. It's literally attached to the high school. Right. You can look out a window and across a a small courtyard, there's the high school. I love that. I actually think all schools should be like that. No, let me tell you about the school because I'm in love with it. Yeah, let's do that. So I became a teacher for a year and I wasn't happy because I wasn't teaching the right thing. I found this completely by accident. This is what I found. We have this, uh, this was pioneered in Barrington, Illinois, outside of Chicago. It's a wealthy suburb. And they they have this thing called Incubator. So I, capital I N Z Incubator. Um, dot edu. And there are probably I think about a hundred schools now, including all the high schools in Collier County, which is where we are. By the way, I did not know this. The average age of my church, Sam. We were talking about the average ages of <laughs> population in Florida. Well, um, the average age of my church is probably seventy six years old. I believe I'm not joking about that. That includes my daughters, who are you know teens. Yeah. But there are forty thousand school kids in this county. 
It's huge. We, our school system here in Collier County, the you know greater Naples, is as big as the school system of the state of Delaware. So every high school has a room like this. And this room, if you you know can't see it because you're on a podcast. And we're going to take pictures, though. We'll put them in the show notes. Good, good. Yeah, it's got a beautiful you know word wall with innovate as uh, the main word there. It's got business quotes around it. It has TVs that hook up to the internet so that we can go online anytime we want. Every single kid has a, has a um, laptop. And what we do in this room is we create a business from thin air. You know, the kids come in and we do a bunch of exercises to first team them up with the right person. And second of all, to imagine what the business would be. And some of them are on their second or third businesses, by the way, because you know, if your business goes as far as it's going to go and you decide to drop it, good for you. We did a mini Shark Tank and we're going we're gonna to have some of the audio in that of these kids doing their pitches. I think maybe eight to 10 teams and every single one was a good idea. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. I, I mean, I it really was. Is. I love that. Yeah. And, and you know, some ideas are more eloquently presented on a given day, right? They're That's kids. what I've noticed. Is, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, um, my name is Kayla Joseph. And my name is Carson Seaman. And we are the co-founders of Halo Effect. And Halo Effect is a all-natural skincare company selling body and facial scrubs to young females ages 15 to 25 in Naples, Florida. Good morning. My name is Stephanie yeah, Ali. I'm Osseo. And we're co-founders of Henna Helpers. Henna Helpers is the only mobile henna tattoo business in Naples, Florida that visits events, festivals, books private parties and appointments and donates to cancer organizations. Hi, my name is Jessica. And I'm Montserrat. And we are co-founders of Simcoco. Simcoco is a baseball company, well, a hat company, that <laughs> customizes and lets you design your own baseball hats. We came up with this idea because we saw that on social media, it was like a big trend, like people wearing like these hats with like cool designs on them. So we thought that it was a good idea to like mainly target teenagers and young adults and that's who we saw mainly wearing them on social media. We also want to focus like on a donation aspect like with charity. So we've paired up with a charity called the Sunshine Kids, which is local here. We want to include that as a like primary focus because we want to show that that's something we really care about. And she's not here right now, but our other member, she was diagnosed with cancer like a few years ago. So that's near and dear to our heart too. We wanted to combine affordable and all natural so that customers will not only be able to afford this product, but to also enjoy something that they know is not gonna have anything harsh in it. No chemicals, no dyes, no perfumes, no sulfates, no parabens, just like she said, all natural, 100% ingredients. Business schools that he developed prior to becoming a teacher are key to Ted's style of teaching. Ted manages to help his students grow by teaching them real-world business traits without damaging the spirit of curiosity and hard work that he values in his students, something the current education system is grinding out of them. But the growth in their speaking, their presenting, like the Cosmo Kart girls, they were so shy and intimidated of speaking in front of others at the beginning of the year. Now they're knocking it down. I can't believe it. By the way, they've sold 12 units, which I, is see, a huge profit. Again, proof is in the sales. Proof is in acquisition. People using it, right? If people don't want your product, then you're not making the right thing. The market will tell you. And here's what I love about this idea. And I'm going to do a video of this room. The fact that these kids, and I, I said this early on, if I would have had a successful CEO, CMO, best-selling author in front of me teaching me, I would have become, and I'm convinced of this, I would have figured out that entrepreneurship was part of me. 
and the the corporate side of my life probably wouldn't have happened. It's it's so important mm-hmm. personally to have role models for our kids. We have them when we're adults. There's too many. When we were we were laughing about you know like like and I'll name names: Gary Vaynerchuk, Seth Godin, Tony Robbins, and all out there when you're adults and you have somebody that can you can you know Tim Ferriss you can hook in and and get encouraged. Yeah. But when you're a kid in school, to have somebody physically in the room who cares enough to want to spend the time with you. Yeah. There's so much value in that and creates passion and creates a lifelong. You have a life. One of the kids' products was called the Halo Effect. Yeah. That's going to be the name of this episode. Oh, I'm not, awesome. I, I'm not awesome. Gonna, we'll tell them that when it comes the, out. The other kids are going to be really jealous, but that's cool. I know, but I, I, I can't do the, the one where I messed up and went down <laughs> no, no, to no, Japanese right. porn, which you all hear when you hear the video, which was damn funny. But, but you have the Halo Effect. And I, I don't think if you don't give back as an individual... I literally don't have time for you. Thank you. Good. That's how I feel exactly. Exactly my thoughts. That's our rule, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my name is Isabel. My name is Charlize. My name is Autumn. And, and we are Cosmocart. So what is Cosmocart? Cosmocart is a company that creates customizable fascia carts for estheticians and salons. As for competition, because of our business model, we don't have some direct competitors, but we do have indirect competitors. And these are companies that don't only sell carts, but they also sell other items as well. One thing that makes us different from them is our business model. We rely more on face-to-face selling rather than passive e-commerce. Our business model is first to create the cart, the second is to customize the cart, the third one is through social media and direct sales. The fourth one is to market to spas around Naples. And the fifth one is to invest in growth. Okay, hi, my name is Elizabeth and I'm the co-founder of Switch Apparel. And my name is Jose and I'm a co-founder of Switch Apparel. So Switch, we came up with the name Switch because, well, we're a fashion line business and we decided to come up with Switch because the trends are always switching up in today's society. So we thought it would be cool. So we just changed the spelling from S-W-I-T-C-H to S-W-C-H. Um, with our designs, we plan on like selling in collections. Like we have a collection that we want to start out with. It's called Teens and Regret. Basically, going to consist of two uh, black dark hoodies. We d- with our two designs that we designed ourselves, and then it's going to have a distressed hoodie, and that's what we plan on doing. Hi, my name is Gilberto Rondon. My name is Jesus Antunes, and we're the co-founders of Communities. So, Communities is a platform that connects people who make homemade food and people who want to buy homemade food. Now, how is this going to help the community? Well, it's going to save time. It's going to help save money. And it's going to be better quality food. I think we're going to do um, in-app payments, which is going to be like through Android Pay, Apple Pay, like you said, API. And um, what we want to do is we want to like unify cultures and like obtain a little taste of someplace new. Think of Airbnb for homemade food. So we were talking earlier, Sam, before we started recording about the educational system and the way that it's set up, I think you and I agree, is it's set up for the industrial age. And the industrial age, huge factories employing thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people. If you're not good at school, you work in the factory floor. If you are good at school, you become a manager and someday, you know, middle manager or maybe an executive, right? And those are the that's what school is designed for. And that's what all this testing crap sorry it is crap is yeah we're in the state that started it we're in florida we're you can blame us it was it was drives me nuts drives me nuts anyway but the thing about entrepreneurship i think there are two things that are basic literacies that children need to learn starting when they're younger than high school by the way yeah coding and 
entrepreneurship. And it does not mean that you have to become a computer programmer. It does not mean that you have to become a business owner. But those skills are skills you need to be literate in the 21st century. I'll add one to that. Yeah, sure. I don't want to call it teamwork, working with others, the ability to work in an environment where you share. And you, you, that, I think those three. Yeah. And I think if you expand that then, so you do have, you do have something like this where you learn how to do a business. I think the idea of, of shop is important, right? The lost art of, you know, if building a house, if doing drywall, if plumbing, if electronics is what your passion is. Providing that outlet for people. And it's also not, oh, you failed because you're not going to need a college No, prep. I hate that. So yeah. why? Because trust me. It's ignorant. Trust me. I know people that have their own construction companies that are, you know, making a killing. Right. And what we've done in this country, especially, is the, the student debt. I'm a finance guy. That's, that's my background. So mortgage number one debt category, student debt number two. We're killing our own education system out of grief. Horrible. It's obscene. And people come to America from around the world. To learn. Yes. And yet we are pricing ourselves out of the learning market. And it's amazing. And yet, and I love college sports. So all y'all are going to give me a hard time. Kiss my ass. Yet we will invest tens of millions of dollars in a football coach right. and a program. But on the flip side, we don't do anything on the debt relief side for kids trying to get that education. And that's going to kill our country. I'm confident that part of the reason we're moving more and more into ignorance as a nation and as a where facts don't matter. Yeah. And I'm, I'm blasting that out across all political parties where facts don't matter. Just noise does. That's the fall of Rome. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. It drives me nuts. You know, you notice that the states that have the lowest ranked educational system are the ones that are the poorest. Yeah. And we won't even talk about what party they tend to vote for that we'll let the reader uh, just, or the, the listener decide. That's fact. But it's but it's it's tragic and it's like it's like, you know, maybe they don't understand like just across the board from the wealthiest to the poorest from the po- political leaders to the, you know, farm workers, maybe they don't understand the value of education. Or maybe it doesn't behoove the powers that be to educate their citizenry well. But whatever the deal is, the states that have better education employ better, you know, attract better employers that pay higher wages. Yeah, we see this. I mean, let's let's take West Virginia, right? I'm going to pick on an area, the coal mining industry, right? Um, it is an industry that's dying. Mm-hmm. And let's be blunt, rightfully so, right? I mean, it just, that's part of the cycle of capitalism and business. So you have an industry where there is money going into it and, it, and it's government funds to educate folks. Yeah. For example, coding classes, they can't get anyone to take the courses because the reality is you still got to live your life. And I get that. If I am a coal miner and I'm diving into mines, I still got to provide for my wife and kids and a family. So, you know, that I completely understand that struggle. It's short-term thinking, though. Yeah. You know, we're not, it's a Band-Aid is all it is. And the thing is, you know, it's not anybody is intentionally killing coal. It's that there are cheaper, evolution. Al- there are cheaper alternatives. And that's that. And talk about capitalism. And that's the market. You and know? yet we ignore that. We've got, um, here in Florida, I was listening to an advertisement for somebody running for governor who literally was talking about how horrible solar is. We live in Florida. <laughs> awesome. Thank it you. It drives me nuts. Sam, can I tell you? Okay, so you live in Florida too. As I drive through neighborhoods and I see roofs and the roofs have these, you know, beautiful tiles on them rather than solar panels, I'm, I'm just like, what is the matter with us? Elon Musk, who's literally has a product, yeah. which are roofing tiles that are solar powered and good on him. But I literally listened to a political ad for somebody running for governor here who was talking about 
uh, taking away subsidies for solar. And I'm thinking, it's so cynical. Well, we have that here in Florida, right? Where if I have solar energy and put in my house, I don't have the right to sell that power. I know. It's That's crazy. backward thinking. We should, from a capitalist standpoint, we should yeah. grab and run with that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm glad you mentioned capitalism again because I can't stress it enough. I'm an ardent capitalist. Now, you're, you're some people may. CEO, CMO. Well, some people may think that I'm a, like a, a dyed in the wool, you know, hippie or something like that because of some of the things that I say. But let me tell you something. You're in a pinstripe suit. Well, yeah. You look okay. Great. I don't look like one today. Yeah. <laughs> you're in a kind of overdressed because it's usually cold in here, Sam. That's why I dress in a suit. Capitalist isn't a word necessarily people think of when they look at what Ted's doing, but he insists that he loves the concept of capitalism, but that capitalists need to educate regulators and governments and why businesses are good instead of forcing them to give in to way too much oversight. I love capitalism. I do. It's like, you know, what makes people go to work? It's they're interested, but they're also paying their bills, right? If you get the two of those together, you're, you got a happy worker, you got a thriving company. Okay. Now, solar back to that is let's let the market decide if if you can make energy in your home and sell it to your neighbors why should the government stop you from doing that that's un-american but that's a cycle we have continuously right the government as a whole is 10 to 15 years behind technology and that's but but there's not an easy solution for that by the way either i'm going to give politicians a little bit of a break there yeah i think it Who's us? So, as somebody who comes from the banking industry, right. I spent an early part of the 2000s around the prepaid space, and at the time, there was some definite downside to prepaid cards. I, I would agree with that. It has come a long way to where you know you look at other markets, the UK, for example. This is a normal product; it's part of life. But there's a lot of educating you have to do with the regulators and the politicians to help them understand it. And there's a part of that where, from a capitalist standpoint, industry has a responsibility to educate. The problem is we don't educate, we lobby. Yeah, exactly. Right. We don't want to educate. We want to force. Yes. You know, we, I say, you know, we being the lobbyists. Every yeah. single- <laughs> Every interest. Interest. Yeah. I think the largest lobbying group besides the NRA, you got the AARP. Yeah, I know. I mean, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> which, I mean, which, you know, you might imagine is a force for good. You know, you, you know, might. You, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah. retired people. But yeah, you're right. They are. They're the second largest lobbying group. But no, but it drives me crazy. Um, the thing is, I have come to peace with the government not being progressive. Government, government um, follows what people already start. And it's just, that's just the way it's got to be. Did I mean, you it's, listen- it's the way it's always been. Did you listen to the John Hope Bryant interview? Uh, I did. Yeah, I love yeah, that one. So yeah, so I did too. He I said want to meet something. that guy someday. You should. I'm going to introduce you to. But John said something that struck me because I looked at him and I'm like, you are cut for politics. He knows how to, he knows messaging. He's, you know, he's, he's got the build. He's, every, he's got that the presence. would be presence. the worst job in the whole world. Well, that's exactly. I said, when, you know, his mentor is um, Ambassador Andrew Young. Mary I know, Young. whom I deeply admire. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, so when are you going into politics? And he goes, Ambassador Young would kill me. He goes, I never will because I can make more of an impact as a entrepreneur and as a businessman than I'll ever make in politics. And I agree. Yeah. No, I, I have some friends. So I have a, I have a quote here. It's from uh, my friend, Bernie Turner. Bernie is 91 or two, something like that. And his uh, quote, which I just love to death, I share it whenever I can, is stand for something important. You'll be amazed at the caliber of people you attract to your cause. And what I've noticed about Bernie, now Bernie's an incredibly successful businessman. In fact, one time I asked him, you know, Bernie, it seems like you've never had a business that wasn't successful. Universities, banks, you know, he every time he invests, it's yeah. successful. He said, yeah, I guess you're right. I don't think I ever have. And <laughs> so, but what I've noticed about his giving is that he gives to 
political races. He donates to politicians. And, you know, I thought about that. And I think that's actually pretty wise. Just, you know, like John Hope Bryant, because, you know, you when you are a very wealthy entrepreneur, the checks you can write buy you more influence than a yeah. single vote in Congress. I agree. I mean, it's, um, you know, there's this interesting dilemma there, right? It's It's wonderful when they support your views. And it's evil when it's, you know, Pete Teal, and you're like, dude, what's wrong with you? It's me personally, but there's, but it does go. But you got to understand, it cuts both ways, right? And and you have to be okay with that and have that balance there. Here's one thing I'd like to talk yes, about because I'm we're looking at it right now. Yeah. You, you've written a book, World Gone Social, co-wrote a, a best-selling book. What I love about this classroom, there are there are one, two, three, four, five. There are like six TVs here and all Wi-Fi and everything else, but there's a wall of books. I could hug you for that. <laughs> the art of reading. Those are my best from home. Yeah, and they're great. I mean, I see Drive by Dan Pink. I see World on Social by some dude. That, that's good. You know, good to great. Um, they're, they're fantastic books along there. If you, if anything you do, you influence a kid to read, yeah. you've already won. That's a, that, and that's hard. That's a lost. I think we're losing that more and more. Although print books are doing great. Well, right. No, they are. And I wonder if people are actually reading print books or if they're just buying them and putting them on their windows like uh, me. So your books are, I've seen the pages. They're folded down. Learning is key to Ted's message, but it doesn't mean just sitting in a classroom listening to a boring lecture. Interaction is key. Interacting with content is a vital part of learning and staying engaged. It's become a part of how he and his family live their own lives. Totally written in, just like you were saying. But um, no, you know, I'll tell you, I believe wholeheartedly in consuming content in a way that you will, you know, interact with it so you remember it. But if that's a podcast or, you know, I turned the kids on a podcast. They were telling you. Thank God. Um, yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, I love that. I fought listening to podcasts until my friend had one. And he's like, you know, hey, you've never heard my podcast. What's the matter with you? So I started, I cannot stop. I've got like a dozen of them that I subscribe to and listen to them when I walk, when I drive. But that's consuming content too. It is. You're learning. And my wife listens to audiobooks. Yeah. Like she can't follow, you know, she's ADHD, just like her husband. So oh, I don't wow, know how, our, house. Kids, oh I don't know how our kids came out okay. I have no idea, but knock on wood. How many do you have? Two. You think? Two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably no, three. No, I hate that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Carl. No, so she listens to audiobooks. Some, you know, actor reads the book yeah. to her. And hey, that's great, you know? Any way you slice it, as long as you are filling your brain, good for you. And you do that in this classroom. So I'm looking at it. Here's here's why I get encouraged. Every time I start to get depressed about where my country's headed and where kids are headed, for all of you that, that bitch and moan about millennials and Gen Z and everybody coming up, this was a class full of, I think, juniors and seniors? Yeah. It was in here. This is not the richest neighborhood no. in the world. These kids all pitched great ideas. These kids were all engaged. These kids were funny. I, I get so tired and we, every generation does this where they talk about the next generation and how useless they I are. I hate that. Give it a rest. Yeah. Thank you. I am so sick and tired of that. But here's what I love about this room. Again, TVs, Wi-Fi, all connected, pen and paper, books. It's every medium. It's visual. It's audio. It's This is how you're supposed to teach. And it was incredibly interactive. You actually have barely talked in this class. And when we did this with the kids, we didn't talk much. It was made. It was them. Yeah. I, I love that. It's how it should be. That's how the real world works. Yeah. Is talk, it was Hamilton, right? <laughs> right, right. You know, talk less, not smile more, talk less, listen more. But it's that whole concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know what? They, I have them for three hours. Three hours is a long time. When I was, yeah, no, when I was in college, right? You know, an hour and a half class is torture. You want the one hour classes. 
so I have them for three hours. There's no way I could lecture at them for anywhere near that. So I try to limit myself to, you know, I call them mini lessons. And um, sometimes I have a couple of kids. It's really funny how some like this, some like that. I call them my founders, by the way. I've, I've used, yeah, you use that term. I've used the word kid more in this podcast than I have in the last year. He told me the founders were coming in at like 845. And I'm like, oh, who's that? They're business founders. They're they business are. founders. And I capitalize it every time I write it because I am so proud of these founders. And uh, anyway, so I have a couple of them who complain when I don't teach them some like, you know, lecture, <laughs> but most of them are very happy that I don't. So uh, I'll give them a little something each day and then I'll give them something to work on. And then they're building, like they're learning marketing and entrepreneurship and finance, everything else through the businesses that they are building. So it's really, really fun. It's fun for them and for me. That's their favorite part, by the way. This was for me a very re-energizing morning. I mean, it really did. It, it gave me um, some faith in the system. Um, I was encouraged when I saw, and the middle school is just down the road, but I love the concept of the high school, the college being tied together and somebody from industry where it's not theory. And that's some of the problem I have with education is that in some respects, you've got people teaching who have actually never been in the trenches. And that's, that's a big issue for me we talked about. So I'm so glad that you found your love of teaching again. Oh, let me tell you, before, before we hang up, yeah. let me tell you, or hang up, you know, we're in the same room. Yeah, but anyway, we're looking at each other. Before, what are you going to do to before me? Before we turn off the, the power, let me tell you um, my vision for this yes. is, um, you know, fortunately, the, the um, superintendent of the Collier School System is, this is her favorite um, part of the school system. I love it. I, I'm just, I couldn't be happier about that. She's a very visionary woman. And she's like, we're, we're taking it from, the, it's in every high school. I'm the only one who has the, the kids for three hours, right? But it's in every high school is a, you know, 45 minute class. They're bringing it into the middle schools this year and then elementary schools. Everyone, you know, talk about lemonade stand. I mean, literally, let's learn business by starting a lemonade stand, right? Ted wants to make education a better platform for kids focused on finding fun and interesting work rather than being bored learning skills without context or teaching solely focused on exam results. But here's the thing. We need to get the word out to a lot more school systems, a lot more educators, a lot more kids who maybe are not too psyched about school because they're just not having fun like they could if they were learning all sorts of subjects by building a business. You know, because I'm teaching these kids yeah. writing. I'm teaching them math skills, like everything built into it. Um, so we are going to do a uh, – we're going to have an international invitational pitch event here. It's going to be tiny this year on purpose. We're going to limit it to 20 teams. But then next year, we're going to get bigger. And we're going to, you know, we'll be international, by the way, as soon as the first Canadian team flies down. That's <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but that's my idea is to actually be able to fund high school kids just with seed money, $5,000 just to get started. And not for an equity play of like half of your business, because when you're starting, you know, $5,000 could be 50% of your equity, right? No, here's a grant, go for it. And then from there, grow your business, pitch, get investors, you name it. And the, the whole idea is to make that cyclical, right? So when they, when, they, when they do that successful business, they come back and do this. And that's where the power is in this. Exactly. I want real companies being birthed from this room. This show is crafted for you by the folks at 11FS. We're building banks for the future. Find out more at 11FS.com. If we hooked you with this episode, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Every star helps. Today's episode was edited by Michael Bailey and produced by Laurel Watkins, Ollie Judge, and myself. I'm Sam Mall, and this has been Connection Interrupted. 
Thanks for listening.